Questions to the Prime Minister. Danny Kinnahan. Question number one. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I would like to update the House on last week's terrorist attack. Since my statement on Thursday, the names of those who have died have been released. They were Aisha Freyd, Kurt Cochrane, Leslie Rhodes and, of course, PC Keith Palmer. I am sure members across the House will join me in offering our deepest condolences to their friends and families. The police and security services investigation continues and two people have now been arrested and remain in custody. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Danny Kinnahan. Thank you very much. May I echo her sentiments and congratulate her also on all the good work that was done last week and since last week. But may I also congratulate the Prime Minister and the Government on today triggering Article 50. I, I know this is a momentous action for the whole of the United Kingdom, and while I, like herself, campaigned to stay in, we recognise that the people have spoken and we offer the Austrian Unionist Party full support in ensuring that the negotiations deliver the best for the whole of the United Kingdom and particularly for Northern Ireland. But could I ask the Prime Minister to confirm that in the extremely improbable event that a border poll should take place regarding the future of Northern Ireland within the United Kingdom during her Premiership, that a government will fully support any official Remain campaign, just, just as the government have done both in regard of the EU and indeed Scotland. Honourable gentlemen. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Well, the Honourable Gentleman is absolutely right. Today, of course, we do give effect to the democratic decision of the people of the United Kingdom who voted uh, for us to leave the European Union. It, and it was a call to make the United Kingdom a country that works for everyone, not just the privileged few. We are, of course, within that fully committed to ensuring that the unique interests of Northern Ireland are protected and advanced as we establish our negotiating position. And our position has always been clear that we strongly support the Belfast Agreement, including the principle of consent that Northern Ireland's constitutional position is a matter for the people of Northern Ireland to determine. But as our manifesto made clear, we have a preference that Northern Ireland should remain part of the United Kingdom. And we will, we will never be neutral in expressing our support for that. And, and that's because I believe fundamentally in the strength of our union. Ronald J. Wardener. Mr Speaker, pupils and parents deserve good schools and real choice in education, including schools that are focused unashamedly on academic rigour. Can my right honourable friend tell us when this government will open applications for the new wave of free schools? And can she also confirm that they will be genuinely free to be run as they wish, serving the local community and creating schools that work for everyone? Well, my, my, my honourable friend is absolutely right. I believe that schools should be free to be run as best suits them and we're putting autonomy and freedom in the hands of strong leaders and outstanding teachers so they can deliver an excellent education and we want to get out of the way of outstanding education providers so they can set up the types of schools that parents want that's why we've set out our new plans to remove the ban on new grammar schools and the restrictions on new faith schools but it is a complex area we do expect to announce the detail of the next wave 
of free school applications following the publication of our school's white paper. Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, Mr Speaker. I want to begin by paying tribute to the emergency services, as the Prime Minister did, across the country, especially all those that responded to the Westminster attack last Wednesday and to those that turned out to help the victims of the new ferry explosion last Saturday. Our thoughts remain with the injured and those who have lost loved ones, especially, and we especially thank the police for their ongoing investigations. Could the Prime Minister assure us that the police will be given all the necessary support and resources to take them through this very difficult period in investigating what happened last Wednesday? Prime Minister. I, I join the Right Honourable Gentleman in praising the work of our emergency services, who, as he has pointed out, um, have to deal with a wide range of uh, incidents that take place. Our focus in this House has been most recently on the attack that took place last Wednesday. We should never forget day in and day out our emergency services are working on our behalf and often putting themselves in danger uh, as a result of the work that we do. I can assure him I have, of course, been keeping in touch, as has my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, with both the security services and the Metropolitan Police on the investigation that is taking place uh, for the, uh, into the attack last Wednesday week and on looking forward to uh, security arrangements and I can assure him that they have the resources that they need to carry out their vital work. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you Mr Speaker. Of course we all pay tribute to the police for the work they do but there are some problems that between 2015 and 2018 there will be a real terms cut in central government funding to police forces of 330 million. Can the Prime Minister assure the House that police all over the country have the necessary resources to do the job? Prime Minister. I would remind the uh, Right Honourable Gentleman that what we have done in the CSR is actually protected uh, that uh, police budget. Um, and of course, the former Shadow Home Secretary, his own uh, colleague, the Right Honourable Member for Lee, uh, prior to the 2015 at the 2015 Labour Party conference, said savings can be found. The police say 5 to 10 per cent over the Parliament is just about doable. Yeah. We didn't accept that. We've actually protected the police budget. I've been speaking, as my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, has to police forces, and they are very clear that the work that they are doing has the resources that they need. Me, Corbyn. Uh, Mr. Speaker, the Police Federation survey recently undertaken reveals that 55% of serving police officers say their morale is low due to the way in which their funding has been treated. Frontline policing is vital in tackling crime and terrorism. Since 2010, however, there are 20,000 fewer police officers, 12,000 less on the front line. So I ask the Prime Minister again, will she think again about the cuts to policing and guarantee policing on the front line will be protected so every community can be assured it's got the police officers it needs in their community. Prime Minister. Said to the right honourable gentleman, we have protected those uh, police budgets, including, of course, the uh, preset that they're able to raise locally. But let's just think about what has happened since 2010. Since 2010, we have seen crimes that are traditionally measured by the Independent Crime Survey falling by a third to a record low. Now that is the work of hard-working police officers up and down this country. 
They have been backed by this government. Yes, we've made them more accountable through the directly elected police and crime commissioners. Yes, there has been reform of policing, including reform of the police federation, which was very necessary. But we have ensured that the police have the resources to do their job, and we see crime at a record low. Gloria Atkins. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Royal Air Force is preparing to fly typhoons from RAF Coningsby in my constituency to Romania to support our NATO allies on the border with Russia. This, this is as President Putin is locking up his political opponents and crushing calls for democracy. Will my right honourable friend confirm, as we leave the EU, that the United Kingdom will continue to lead NATO in defending this vital border and will she pay tribute to the armed forces who safeguard our, ho- our democracy at home and abroad? Prime Minister. I'm very happy, Mr Speaker, to join my honourable friend in paying tribute to the men and women of our armed forces. They are the best in the world and they work, they work tirelessly to keep us safe and we owe them every gratitude for doing so. I can also assure her that our commitment to collective defence and security through NATO is as strong as ever. We will meet our NATO pledge to spend 2% of GDP on defence every year of this decade. Uh, and we plan to spend £178 billion on an equipment plan to 2025. And uh, she has referred to the work that is being done the Ro- by the Royal Air Force in relation to Romania. Of course, with NATO, we're deploying a battalion to Estonia and a reconnaissance squadron to Poland. And I think that shows our very clear commitment to our collective security and defence. Angus Robertson. We associate ourselves with the condolences of the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Labour Party and the praise for the emergency and the security (coughs) services uh, in and after the wake of the appalling terrorist atrocity last week. Mr Speaker, last year the Prime Minister promised that before she would trigger Article 50 on leaving the European (coughs) Union that she would secure a UK-wide approach and agreement with the Last, last year, the Prime Minister did make that promise. And she promised there would be an agreement with the governments of Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland before triggering Article 50. The Prime Minister has now triggered Article 50, and she's done so without an agreement. There is no agreement. Why has she broken her promise and broken her word? I've been very clear throughout and since the first visit that I made since the first visit I made as Prime Minister to Edinburgh last July uh, which was that we were going to work with the devolved administrations that we would develop a UK-wide approach but that in the negotiations it would be a UK approach that was taken into the negotiations and it would be the United Kingdom government that took forward that position and I would simply remind the right honourable gentleman that Scotland is part of the United Kingdom. People, people viewing will note that the Prime Minister did not deny that yep. she would seek a UK-wide yep. Yep. approach yep. and agreement yep. with the government of Scotland, yep. Wales and Northern Ireland, yep. and there is no yep. agreement. Yeah. Mr. Yeah. Speaker, the Scottish Government was elected with a higher percentage of the vote with a bigger mm-hmm. electoral mandate yep. than the yep. UK yep. Government. Yep. Yep. 
Yesterday, the Scottish Parliament voted by 69 to 59 that people in Scotland should have a choice about their future. After the negotiations of the European Union are concluded, there will be a period for democratic approval of the outcome. That choice will be exercised in this Parliament, in the European Parliament and in 27 member states of the European Union. Given that everybody else will have a choice at that time, will the people of Scotland have a choice about I say to the right honourable gentleman, I say to the right honourable gentleman that we are taking forward the views of the United Kingdom into the negotiations with the uh, European Union on the United Kingdom exiting the European Union. The Scottish Nationalist Party consistently talks. Miss Cherry, this is very unseemly heckling. You are a distinguished QC. You wouldn't behave like that in the Scottish courts. You'd be chucked out. (laughs) Prime Minister. Thank you. The SNP consistently talks about independence as the only subject they wish to talk about. What I say to the right honourable gentleman and his colleagues is this. Now is not the time to be talking about a second independence referendum. On today of all days, we should be coming together as a united kingdom to get the best deal for Britain. Julian Sturdy. Thank you, uh, thank you Mr Speaker. Improving vocational and technical education is vital to closing our productivity gap. So can the Prime Minister assure me that vocational education will enjoy equal status with academic education so that as we leave the EU our young people can be equipped to build the high-skilled economy of the future. Minister. My honourable friend has raised a very important issue. It is uh, essential for young people that we do give vocational and technical education uh, the right uh, esteem and the right focus, because it is essential in addressing our productivity gap. We do want to deliver a world-leading technical education system that can create genuine options for young people that are equal in esteem, two options for young people equal in esteem. And of course, at the budget, my right honourable friend, the Chancellor, announced a significant package of investment to implement the most ambitious post-16 reforms since the introduction of A-levels 70 years ago. We're going to be investing an extra half a billion pounds a year in England's technical education system and introducing maintenance loans to support those studying high-level technical qualifications at prestigious institutes of technology and national colleges. Bill Esterson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Treasury Select Committee says that having to fill in a tax return every three months uh, means that many smaller companies face disaster. The Federation of Small Business says that the extra annual cost is likely to be at least £2,700 a year. The this is yet another burden on business from this government. She got it wrong on national insurance. Is she going to backtrack now on tax returns as well? 
Prime Minister. Perhaps the honourable gentleman uh, should have listened to the announcement that my right honourable friend, the Chancellor, made in the budget, where he indicated that he would be delaying the introduction of this for the smallest businesses below the VAT threshold uh, for a, a year. But I think it is right that HMAC, HMRC does try to move to a greater digitisation of the, uh, the way in which it operates. I think that will enable it to give a better service to those people who are completing, uh, completing their forms. And we should always remember that aspect of what is being proposed. Macintosh. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I welcome the additional money the Government has given for adult social care, but it's important we also look at long-term solutions. As part of the long-term review, will the Prime Minister look at some of the cases in my constituency and the issues with how the system works with Northamptonshire County Council and Northampton General Hospital? Prime Minister. Uh, say to my honourable friend that he's uh, right. I'm grateful for his welcome for the extra money, the £2 billion that was announced by my right honourable friend, the Chancellor, at the budget that is going into social care. This is, shows that we have recognised the, the pressures and demands on social care, but it is also important that we ensure that best practice is delivered across the whole of the, uh, of the country. It isn't just about money. So we are trying also to find a long-term, sustainable solution which will help local authorities to learn from each other, to raise standards across the whole system and we will bring forward proposals in a green paper later this year to put the state funded system on a more secure and sustainable long term footing. Corbyn. Thank you Mr Speaker. As uh, Home Secretary the Prime Minister clearly didn't protect police budgets. Last week she told me four times we have protected the school's budget. Does she still stand by that statement? Prime Minister. We have, we, we have protected schools' budgets and we're putting record funding into schools. Corbyn. Well, today, Mr Speaker, the Public Accounts Committee says of the Department of Education that it does not seem to understand the pressures that schools are already under. And they went on to say that funding per pupil is reducing in real terms and goes on to say schools' budgets will be cut by 3 billion, equivalent to 8% by 2020. Is the Public Accounts Committee wrong on this? Prime Minister. What we see over the course of this Parliament is £230 billion going into our schools. But what matters is the quality of education that we see in our schools. 1.8 million more children in good or outstanding schools, and a policy and, and, uh, from this Government to ensure that every child gets a good school place. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, the daily experience of many parents who have children in schools is that they get letters from the schools asking for money. One parent, Elizabeth, wrote to me to say she's received a letter from a daughter's school asking for a monthly donation to top up the reduced funds that her school is receiving. This government's cuts to schools are betraying a generation of our children. If the Prime Minister is right, then the parents are wrong, the teachers are wrong, the IFS is wrong, the National Audit Office is wrong, the Education Policy Institute is wrong, and now the Public Accounts Committee, which includes eight Conservative members in it, is also wrong. So which organisation does back the Prime Minister's view on education spending in our schools? Prime Minister. Right, honourable gentlemen, that as I've just said to him, we said we'd protect school funding, and we have a real terms protection for the school's budget. 
We said we'd protect the money following children into schools, and we have. The school's budget reaches 42 billion as pupil numbers rise in 1920. But I also have to say to him that it is about what the quality of education that the children are receiving. 1.8 million more children in good or outstanding schools than under the Labour government. But I also say this to the right honourable gentleman because time and time again he stands up in PMQs and asks questions which would lead to more spending. Let's just look at what he's done recently. On the 11th of January, more spending. On the 8th of February, more spending. On the 22nd of February, more spending. On the 1st of March and the 8th of March, more spending. On the 15th of March and the 22nd of March, more spending. Barely a PMQ goes by that he doesn't call for more public spending. And when it comes to spending money that they haven't got, Labour simply can't help themselves. It's the same old Labour, spend today and give somebody else the bill tomorrow. Well, we won't do that to the next generation. Closed question, Mr Bill Wiggin. Question 11. The Prime Minister. Thank you, uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure everyone in the House will want to join me in paying tribute to the thousands who worked in munitions factories in both world wars, um, often in very dangerous conditions, and they produced vital equipment for the armed forces that helped us to victory. Uh, I'm sure my honourable friend will recognise that for practical reasons it's not possible to pursue individual awards, but I know that the Department for Business would be happy to work with him to look at further ways to recognise the collective effort of former munitions workers. Bill Wiggin. I, I thank my right honourable friend for that answer. Uh, these ladies found that the chemicals in the shells turned their skins yellow and they were nicknamed Canary Girls. I know my right honourable friend is exceptionally busy at the moment, but could she find just a few moments in her diary to meet me and some of these Canary Girls to recognise their service? Prime Minister. I would be very happy to do that. I'd be very happy to meet uh, some Canary Girls. I, as I said, uh, they did work which was vital to the war effort. They did work which in one sense was absolutely routine, but in another sense was extremely dangerous. And I think we should recognise uh, the efforts that they put in. Marilyn Harris. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware that the Welsh Labour Government has established a children's funeral fund. Many independent and leading funeral providers like the Cooperative and Dignity have also indicated there will be no charges for children and young people's funerals. I know the Prime Minister is a compassionate woman and I know she understands the importance of a children's funeral fund. Will she agree to work with me to establish this fund to bring some comfort to bereaved parents in their darkest hour? Minister. Can I first of all pay tribute to the Honourable Lady who has been campaigning tirelessly on this, uh, on this issue and obviously is not just a passionate campaigner but has spoken on many occasions movingly in this House about her own experience which she is, is bringing to bear on this issue. And I welcome the decision that has been taken by the Co-op to waive the funeral fees and I recognise the actions of the Welsh Government. We do want to... Uh, we, we, of course, there is some financial support available. We are looking at this issue and the problems faced by parents, and we're looking at what more can be done uh, through a cross-government piece of work. And I will ask the Minister for the Cabinet Office, who is leading on that piece of work, to meet with her and talk about the ideas. David T.C. David. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As the Prime Minister will know, the Budget gave an extra £200 million to the Welsh Labour Government in order to provide business rate relief. 
Would the Prime Minister agree with myself and the leader of Monmouthshire Council, Peter Fox, OBE, that Welsh Labour must now commit to spending that money on supporting Welsh businesses and giving the same level of support that has been provided in England by this Conservative Government? Minister! I, I, I say to my honourable friend, he's absolutely right. As he says at the budget, my right honourable friend, the Chancellor, uh, announced a £200 million boost to the Welsh Government's budgets. They will be able to use that money to support their own priorities. Um, but the people of Wales will be able to send a very clear signal about these priorities by voting for Conservative councillors like Peter Fox on the 4th of May. And I have to say, it's the UK Government actions to support ordinary working families throughout the country that will ensure Wales benefits from an economy that works for everyone. Mr Speaker, the Foreign Secretary during the EU referendum campaign urged people to, and I quote, take back control of huge sums of money, £350 million per week, and spend it on our priorities, such as the NHS. The Prime Minister will trigger Article 50 today. Can the Prime Minister confirm precisely when she wants to fulfil the promise made by her Cabinet colleague who is sitting on the front bench smirking at the British public? Prime Minister! I'm very, uh, I'm very happy. Uh, Boris is sitting perfectly comfortably and <laughs> with an air of repose about the fellow to which we're accustomed. Let's hear from the Prime Minister. <laughs> well, uh, I'm very happy to uh, tell the Honourable Lady that, of course, when this country leaves the European Union, we will have control of our budgets and we will decide how that money is spent. Yeah! William Rag! Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, with modification, schools in my constituency uh, welcome the national funding formula. And uh, given the uh, Leader of the Opposition's intervention, I hope my uh, f- next part of the question doesn't land me on the naughty step. But given that Stockport uh, schools and other F40 schools have been at the bottom of the funding pile for years and therefore have less scope for efficiencies, would my right honourable friend consider providing more immediate support to them? Uh, well, as, uh, as my honourable friend is saying what we're doing is aiming to end the postcode lottery of schools funding and uh, as I said earlier schools funding is now at a record high. Uh, In relation to the minimum in relation to a minimum funding level as I've said before the DfE have heard representations on the issue on this national funding formula and will of course be considering those it was a consultation there have been a lot of uh, responses to that but it is a historic and complex reform. There's been general agreement for many years that reform is needed. We want to get this right and that's why we're carefully considering the representations. Alex Salmond. After uh, nine months of this Prime Minister's approach to Brexit, Northern Ireland is deadlocked, the Welsh are alienated, Scotland is going for a referendum, the English are split down the middle and Brexit MPs are walking out of Commons committees because they don't like home truths. Has the Prime Minister considered, in terms of invoking Article 50, that now is not the time? Prime Minister! What, um, What the UK Government is doing in invoking Article 50 is putting into practice the democratic vote of the British people on the 23rd of June last year in a referendum. 
There was a referendum in 2014 in Scotland when the Scottish people voted to remain part of the United Kingdom. I suggest the Right Honourable Gentleman and his colleagues puts that into practice. Matt Matt Warman. Mr Speaker, three quarters of my constituents voted to leave the European Union. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that as she triggers Article 50 it marks a watershed moment not only for this country's control of immigration and our sovereignty, but also for listening to the views of people who were forgotten for far too long. I I absolutely agree with my honourable friend. Not only, in invoking Article 50, not only are we putting into place uh, in practice the views of the British people as set out in that referendum on the 23rd of June last year, But crucially, that was not just a vote about leaving the EU. It was a vote about changing this country for the future. And this government has a clear plan for Britain that will change this country, that will see us with a more global outlook, a stronger economy, a fairer society and a more united nation. This is Marion Fellow. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The people expect the Prime Minister to follow her party's manifesto and to abide by a majority vote of this Parliament. So, why does she say that the First Minister of Scotland should do the opposite? Prime Minister! what What I say is that at this point in time, at this point in time, as we face this historic moment of invoking Article 50 and setting in process the negotiations for the future of this country and its relationship with the European Union, now is the time for us all to pull together and not try to hang apart. Derek Thomas. On Friday, thousands of people will be up and down this country raising funds, raising funds and awareness of brain tumour research. Many of these people will know people, will family members who have had brain tumour research or will be suffering from them. Yet, brain tumour research only receives about 1% of all research funding for cancer and yet it kills more, it's a bigger cancer killer of people under children, adults under 40. Will the Prime Minister join me in commending all these people raising awareness and funds and also see what more we can do to increase funding for brain tumour research? Prime Minister! This is a very important area. I believe in in this area also the UK does have a good record of research on uh, uh, brain tumours and uh, that is important, but he's absolutely right. The people who are raising funds for this important cause should be commended. As he says, many of them will have had personal experience in one way or another of uh, of brain tumours. And I think it is important that we recognise that there are many uh, killers out there which don't often receive the publicity and support of others. And we should uh, should recognise their importance and commend those who are raising funds. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As we enter the world of Article 50, can the Prime Minister say what she's doing to ensure national and local government prioritise the purchasing and the buying of British goods and services? Although I have to say, a record as Home Secretary on police vehicles doesn't give us much cause for optimism. Prime Minister! Well, we have, we have as a government been encouraging the procurement of uh, British goods and services. I would say he asked what we can do for local authorities. If uh, people around the country want local authorities that are going to take their best interest into heart, then they should vote Conservative. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I ask, can I congratulate my uh, uh, right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, on invoking Article 50 today? And does she agree with me that this is the end, this needs to be the end of the phony war 
the end of posturing as we've heard from the other benches and focus now on the detail for every industry, every sector and every community to get a bespoke deal that we can all get behind. Prime Minister! I absolutely agree with my honourable friend. Now is the time for us to come together to be united across this House and across this country to ensure that we work for the best possible deal for the United Kingdom and the best possible future for us all. Nigel Dodds! Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister has uh, been rightly emphasising her determination to deliver for all constituent parts of the United Kingdom on this historic day. And uh, whilst others are content to moan and whine, we want to see that delivery happen, and we are confident that she will make that happen. And uh, in Northern Ireland, while some have walked away from the responsibilities in terms of devolution, we want to see devolution up and running to have a functioning Northern Ireland government, and we have set no preconditions in the way of that. If others continue to stay away from devolution and walk away, will she, conti- will she pledge to work ever more closely with those of us in this House to defend and protect the interests of Northern Ireland? I think we. we uh Say to the right honourable gentleman, we all want to work together to ensure that we can protect the best interests of Northern Ireland. I think, as he does, as he's just said, that ensuring that we have strong devolved government in Northern Ireland is important for the future. It's important so that we can build on the significant progress that has been made in recent years for the people of Northern Ireland. And I would urge all parties to come to the talks with a view to finding a way through this so that Northern Ireland once again can be restored to devolved government. James Berry. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Would the Prime Minister agree that social media companies need to take action now to remove extremist and hate material from their platforms proactively and to foot the bill for the police who are currently doing their dirty work at the taxpayers' expense? This this whole question of working with the companies to ensure that extremist material is removed as quickly as possible is one that is not new. It has been going for a number of years. Of course, through the Counterterrorism Internet Referral Unit, we do have the process that enables the police to take uh, material down. 250,000 pieces of material have been taken down since February 2010 from the internet, and there's been a significant increase in that activity in the last couple of years or so. But I know my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, will be meeting Uh, the companies later this week to talk to them about this very important issue. We don't want to see extremist material on the uh, the internet. What we do want to see is companies taking action to remove material that uh, that is encouraging hate and division. Alison McGovern. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Late on Saturday night, a massive explosion devastated New Ferry in my constituency. We're thinking of all those who are hurt, but Mr Speaker, it is a miracle more people were not injured. The community now faces significant derelictions, so will the Prime Minister join with me in thanking all of those who looked after my community over the weekend and in recent days? And will she arrange for me a meeting with the Secretary of State who can discuss how the government can help us rebuild New Ferry? Prime Minister. Well, I'm, I'm very happy to do both of those things. I say, tell the, the Honourable Lady, uh, first of all, to commend and thank all of those who work so hard in the emergency services and others to support her local community when this uh, devastating explosion took place. Uh, and of course, that work will continue. It, it doesn't just happen over the weekend. There will be support, I'm sure, being given to the community into the future. And I'm very happy to ask the Secretary of State for Communities and Local Government to work to meet with her and discuss how uh, that community can be rebuilt and uh, can overcome the impact of this explosion. 